Welcome to Calling All Humans. Uh, we are a podcast looking at how we can... Oh, I don't know. Maybe I just. Maybe you should do all the bits today. Maybe you should do it all. Uh, yeah, it's good to be back, Greg. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> if I could just like capture that image of you <laughs> sunken into your shoulders like head stooped <laughs> weeping into the microphone oh dear we'll get there calling all humans this is a distress call if there was another way some easier way i would take it but there is no alternative what really exists according to quantum mechanics is immensely richer than the things we can actually observe. It is the essence of a collective crisis. So we, we can't just respond through individual shopping decisions. We have to respond through bold collective action. I think that when we talk about race, we tend to focus on individual acts of prejudice. Unfortunately, the issue of race, if we understand it, is a lot more insidious. And it takes a lot more of a historical view to understand the difference between individual bias and structural racism and privilege. We should understand we have not inherited this earth from our ancestors. We have borrowed it from our children and grandchildren. So it is our dharma, it is our duty to protect and conserve the planet earth. And I love all people, rich or poor, but in those particular positions, I just don't want a poor person. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? There's a good chance that most of your users are already on Facebook, and for the ones who aren't, they probably will be soon. <laughs> Our society is run by insane people for insane objectives. Welcome to Calling All Humans. So, Calling All Humans is a podcast looking at how we can collectively transform our world, and it is brought to you by the Co-Resist Collective. Yeah, we're a collective based in Bristol, and we're interested in where arts, activism and education meet each other. And um, yeah, we've got a lovely episode lined up for you today. Yeah, we've got um, a lockdown episode. This is the first time me and Danny will be recording during the COVID-19 lockdown. And so we're not actually in the same room as one another. We're not in my bedroom or some random vacant building. We're actually looking at each other over video conferencing, which I think loses some of their energy, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. There's no shared oh, biscuits, dear. no shared cups of tea. No croissants, oh dear. Oh, no. And like, like, rather than us both dealing with microphones falling down and it being kind of hilarious, it's just one person on their own dealing with it, whilst the other person watches just like, oh, what are you doing? Sort Get on that. with it. <laughs> anyway, here we are. And um, so how's your lockdown been, Greg? Yeah, I mean, you know me. Sometimes I like to act like a bit of a hermit. I'm quite happy just hiding behind screens and looking at people digitally. But I think it's the live events. You know, I do have moments where I like to come out of my cave and be around people, whether at, you know, live music, live performance or just discussions. And I think that's really where it all drops off. You sort of and you start noticing it, maybe not right away, but after like a few weeks, you start noticing yourself getting almost used to this new existence and you don't really like it. Then there are those moments where you're just suddenly like, oh, fuck, and it does get a bit much. But how about yourself, Danny? Obviously, I'm in Hebden Bridge, but you've been doing some nice stuff with Co-Resist in Bristol. Maybe you'd like to tell the listeners a bit about that. We've done a little bit. Yeah, it definitely has been on the down low. Um, you know, it's it was a real you know, shock at first, I think, is to kind of like, yeah, we can't actually be together. We can't actually hold meetings. We can't create events where people can be in the same room. Um, what, why, what do we exist for? Um, <laughs> and if you think but, about everything Co-Resist does, whether it's a performance piece or a bit of social sculpture in a public space, it's always about that liveness, you know, in spaces with other people. Yeah, I mean, I think that the it has kind of like uh, definitely given the context for a different type of creativity and uh, and for people to respond in different ways, which is, you know, definitely has value and is important. You know, it really is the substance of um, making meaning of all of this. But for us, you know, initially for me, it was like the you could see this train kind of coming down the tracks, you know, and everyone was just like hanging out, just kind of going, you know, yeah, uh, it'll be here eventually. But then poof, when it did... And um, the first lockdown happened, 
it it was a relief actually for me uh, i felt you know an incredible amount of stress up to that point and um was calling for it a lot earlier and the beauty of the stillness was incredible the people have talked about this many times so i won't go into it too much but the the air quality and the birds and the sunny days that we had in that first lockdown really were quite special you know juxtaposed with the tragedy of thousands upon thousands of people losing their lives in an incompetent and arrogant government not really doing anything to uh, to protect us so from that you know what do we do how do we respond um i wrote a story we had a one storytelling sunday event online for listeners who don't know danny hosts uh, storytelling events with co-resist it's been going for a good few years now and it's always a wonderful experience but how has the translation of that to digital delivery been for you ah uh, it's tragedy yeah no <laughs> I, w- I won't lie it's just not it's just not really where my heart and soul is at you know it's not what storytelling is for me it doesn't feel like a a, a collective experience um in the same way um but it was you know an interesting collaboration and um and people felt really appreciative that we actually were putting out content are you saying danny that when uh, your internet's buffering and it cuts out halfway through a story that that's maybe a little disruptive to the creative process yeah and maybe when you're working with a musician you know in real life you're kind of surreptitiously meeting up in a park to uh you know to rehearse and uh you know you're looking around just to check that no one's gonna like be offended Bust you. and then when it when it comes to the to the real thing you're you kind of you've got that zoom time lag (laughs) so awful and Um, also the blank stares like you know audiences can sometimes look at you with a slightly expressionless face but it's nothing compared to the zoom audience where people are just like kind of staring in fear at the screen and that's all you see oh you just get their name and you don't even know whether they're still there they could be doing anything (laughs) I know, yeah, and there's. I think there's something about performance, you know, whether it's storytelling or whether it's music or whether it's, um, you know, theatre. There's so much of the arts has, you know, been sacrificed in this, um, in in the response to the, to the pandemic, that you know, we're kind of channeled through this medium which cuts us away from our audience, and you cut, you don't get that visceral response. You can't feel them. You can't smell them. You can't you know, feel when they kind of want to applaud or they, you know, they want to kind of like that up, that kind of upping in tempo. So you're kind of flying blind. But at the same time, on the flip side, uh, there's actually been some really great examples of people working within the constraints of the lockdown, including yourself, Danny. I know you've done a couple of um, things with Co-Resist. Maybe you'd like to tell the listeners about uh, the mutual aid support network you're a part of. Yeah, I mean, to- totally like wasn't just co-resist, but the, you know, the initial kind of weeks of the lockdown and, you know, just actually prior to the lockdown happening, it, it was a real sense that we need to kind of set up some infrastructure here because the government really haven't kind of like got us in mind. So, you know, I kind of was Googling what was out there and I found um, a group that was about to set up something in, in uh, Hackney and, uh, and Lewisham and um, sort of got in touch with them and then started one off over in Bristol. So we had this mutual aid network sort of spring up um, and that kind of, you know, that birthed a few more different sort of Facebook pages. And then before you knew it, you know, we had this incredible um, horizontally organised group of people coming together that had put together an entire network covering Bristol, broken down to postcodes and then WhatsApp groups for each street and incredible things happening like and these were places where people could uh, obviously reach out and if for the more vulnerable people under the first lockdown if they needed food deliveries or any other help this network would then people would uh, respond and help out those individuals right yeah totally yeah you know mutual aid kind of like really being you know just there to support each other and offer um assistance however however you can so we had people kind of you know, getting in touch from, you know, other cities who couldn't come to check on their parents. So people within that mutual aid group would, you know, do that on their behalf. And, you know, like you say, prescriptions being delivered food, but also, you know, kind of emergency supplies and taking people to, you know, hospital. We had all sorts of stuff happen um, through um, the the network. And it was a real, 
it was a real kind of um, breath of fresh air. And, um, you know, around the same time that people were applauding for the NHS and, um, you know, really meeting their neighbours and expressing that positivity and gratitude, it felt like we had rediscovered community spirit. Mm. And that's it, isn't it? It's just even connecting. It's not necessarily even the service that the network was helping deliver, which is vital, but also just the fact that people were coming together and reaching out and showing a real urgency to actually connect. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really kind of been all that some people had had, you know, through this. And um, I hope that even though things have sort of tailed off a bit now and people have kind of worked out what they need to do to navigate this pandemic, or a lot of people have at least, we still find ways where we can keep coming together. And that really kind of feels like the um, the task at hand. How do we, you know, kind of reignite this? How do we use these mutual aid networks for, you know, great benefit? And um, actually that's what our guest starts to uh, to explore today too. And that's what we'll be looking at uh, this episode because you collaborated on a mutual aid zine, uh, Bristol Lockdown, which was produced by Beth Morton. And you've conducted an interview with her. Well, you conducted an interview with her during the first lockdown. We're actually recording right now during the second lockdown in November. So it might be quite an interesting clash of different moments during the lockdown when there were slightly different attitudes or feelings in the air so certainly I think there was a bit more fear of the unknown during the first lockdown yeah I mean there's a lot of water under the bridge since then right but a lot of the themes that um, Bethany touches on are still absolutely as relevant now and that's kind of why we're bringing this back and revisiting it and I think the really fascinating um, thing that Bethany is, uh, you know, a shining example of is that people needed something to do and and feeling like, you know, they really wanted to help and put something positive out there in the world. And this is kind of like one of millions of examples of this, but happens to be really interesting because, you know, she um, she did it with such incredible uh, quality and um, and dedication. And, uh, you know, if you haven't seen it uh, and you want to check it out do maybe we can stick a link on our website or something because it's a, a real wonderful piece of work yeah and it's beautifully put together there's some great articles and some really great graphics and images in it but Danny before we get into that I think what we really need to do to really help express our journey through this lockdown is to play a bit of if you really knew me covid edition <laughs> okay let's go for it I've missed it COVID edition. Danny, over to you. If you really knew me, you would know that I have spent months of this time inside in front of my computer staring into Zoom and this has been sucking and gnawing away at my soul. Uh, If you really knew me, You'd know that in our household, when the first lockdown happened, we prepared by buying five boxes of red wine because we thought it might be the end of the world. And if we are going to go out, we need booze. (laughs) If if you really knew me, you would know that I have um, developed a fascination and a passion for custard apples. Um, and this became a miniature addiction at the, in the first lockdown, and I went out and sought them out for my local uh, organic uh, whole food sailor. And um, yeah, just started to grow these things from seed. I now have a mini custard apple orchard in my garden. Ooh, nice. Uh, if you really knew me, you'd know that I moved to Hebden Bridge not too long ago, and actually weirdly the lockdown has given me a chance to meet all my neighbours and now suddenly we know everyone on the street, we know everyone's name and it's actually been a weirdly very enjoyable experience. 
If you really knew me, you would know that I have become extremely disorganised over the past sort of few months. Become, and as if. As if, that's not, <laughs> as if that's a new thing, jeez. All right, cut this, cut this. No. <laughs> So in a moment, you're going to hear an interview with Bethany Morton, who produced the zine Bristol Lockdown. And I was invited to participate in that zine because Bethany and I had met through the Mutual Aid Network. Because I had helped set it up and uh, I was uh, quite involved in those early days, she thought that it would be nice to hear from sort of me some of my thoughts on Mutual Aid. So I put that together. And that sits alongside lots of other kind of little treats that are in that uh, zine and well worth checking out yeah it's a beautifully put together zine it's got some amazing images and graphics and then just some great articles you know like adblock black lives matter acorn herbalist without borders it's a really cool thing so do check it out we sort of um spoke after the first lockdown um and after this zine had been published and one of the things that we were reflecting on and we had kind of great synergy around was the importance of creativity and how that can really help carry us and understand, help us understand the pandemic. And also we started to talk about, you know, what are the future routes out of the pandemic and what do we want to see happen and how, we, how do we want things to change as a result of this time to reflect and do things differently? Here you go. No, not you, not you. Your organization's terrible. Your organization's terrible. Let's go. Go ahead. Quiet, quiet. Go ahead. She's she's asking a question. Don't be rude. Don't be rude. Don't be rude. No, I'm not going to give you a question. I'm not going to give you a question. You are fake news. Mm -hmm. Are you going to include the Congressional Black Caucus and the Congressional Well, I would. I tell you what. Do you want to set up the meeting? Do you want to set up the meeting? No, no, no. Are they friends of yours? No, get it. Set up the meeting. I know some of them, but I'm sure... Let's go. Set up a meeting. I would love to meet with the Black Caucus. I think it's great. And we had the most beautiful piece of chocolate cake that you've ever seen. And President Xi was enjoying it. Welcome, Bethany. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Would you mind just introducing yourself to our listeners and explaining just a little bit about your background? Mm -hmm. And then we'll go into a little bit more about how we met. Okay. Um, yeah, so I've been living in Bristol on and off for about four years now. I manage a tattoo studio, art gallery at the moment. Um, spent some time working for Julian House, uh, the homeless charity across Bristol and Bath. Um, yeah, just kind of living in Easton and enjoying, yeah, enjoying being in Bristol. Yeah, thinking about sort of art and creativity and mm. how, how creativity fuels ideas mm. and and movements i mean it feels like over the last few years we have um, had a resurgence in activism mm. particularly climate activism mm. and i think art has been synonymous with this if i think about extinction rebellion i think about symbol i think mm. about some of the kind of more performative elements of what they're doing the mm. red brigade and things like that but i think that as well there are maybe quieter rebellions going on, billboards, or um, even just kind of the way that people curate the clothes that they wear, the ethical choices that they make, you know, things like this, the, the sort of reuse, repurposing that we're seeing. What role do you think art has in social movements, or what mm. are examples of things that you have seen that have really um, inspired you? Mm, I love that question. 
I love that question. Um, I think the world, we, in order to imagine a different world, in order to create a different society, you know, capitalism isn't working, we need to create, we need to surround ourselves with alternatives and we need to be able to see what a different society looks like. And I think art shows us that art is our art is that process of like rebuilding a different world and it represents you know it represents change it represents ideas and possibilities and hope that we can actually make a difference and you can actually make changes and that we're not living in a predetermined society and that we don't have to keep following the same behavior patterns and i think it is so closely linked to activism in that way. And I think that's a way in which we can break out of these predetermined behavior patterns that we live in, you know, go to work nine to five, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's there, about imagining- sort of examples that you mm. have sort of recognized that go, that, oh, that's kind of shifted me in some way. Mm. Definitely zines, so definitely zines. I remember, I've been thinking about this a lot, in the last week, I remember coming up to Bristol Anarchist Book Fair as a teenager and picking up some pamphlets and looking at the images and being so inspired and it kind of really started to alter my worldview and it was the first time I thought about othering, it was the first time I thought about kind of hierarchies and feminism and all of that was introduced through a creative medium and I and and also through music, but I think being able to look at something visually really helped connect with ideas and connect with different ways of thinking. Great. Well, let, let's dive into zines then, because that's how we met. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about the zine that you've just created. Yeah, so we've just put together Lockdown Bristol as uh, the title. So it's just a kind of collection of um, articles and a few kind of pieces of art that represent talk about things that have been happening during lockdown and try and acknowledge different ways that people have been being active and trying to connect with with each other outside of state power. What was it that kind of made you think yeah we need a zine now this is this is what's needed <laughs> in the world? Um, I guess just trying thinking of a way to bring people voices together when we couldn't actually physically be together so it's a way of yeah, a way of using a platform to bring people into the same space when it's not physically. Yeah. yeah, and you've got a lot of different voices in there, so maybe sort of talk a little bit about who you managed to kind of pull together when you yeah. curate this. So we've got um, this amazing artist called Matt Manson. Um, he's kind of does a lot of bus stop subvertising. Um, he's also a tattoo artist, but not related, you know, to my work. Um, We've also got Dawn Limbu, who is an amazing speaker. She spoke at the Black Lives Matter protest. Um, we've got some kind of, we've got just some kind of underground anarchisty voices as well. And my friend Heather put together some really good flower bombs and hand sanitizer recipes and did some beautiful artwork. And yeah, just a real, real collection. We've also got Acorn. Someone from Acorn put together a really great article about what they've been doing during lockdown. So there's some mm. more formal explanations of ways that you could get involved in actions that are happening but then there's also just some creative creative entertainment as well so i suppose you've had quite a bit of time to sort of really reflect on the times that we find ourselves in now and lockdown and mm. what that's meant for yourself and others through you know this zine mm. what what are the kind of key things that have really you know hit home for you about this period that we find ourselves in? I think about connecting with people in your local vicinity. It's always been something I've thought about. I don't know if you've read any Murray Bookchin. He talks about kind of decentralising away from a centralised democracy. You know, in order to decentralise, we need to have local structures and local networks where we can make decisions and we feel empowered and we can see the effects of our decisions. And I really felt that during lockdown because we couldn't go anywhere. And I thought, you know, in a state where you feel threatened or you feel a bit fearful or there's this kind of 
yeah, this kind of unknown worry, the people physically around you are the closest. That's a, a safety net, isn't it? That's some kind of level of safety. And we've had streets in Eastern, especially streets of people swapping numbers, sharing information, going to buy things for each other, you know, going to check on elderly neighbours, putting up signs in the window, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's rem remembering to physically connect with each other rather than just online. And even though the zine was online, the aim was to kind of promote that physical connection and remember the physical connection at such a scary, uncertain time when we weren't allowed to physically actually hang out with each other. It's so the zine, um, you know, it, it's kind of uh, had a an impact not just on the kind of people that have been reading it but also the people that contributed to it as well you know there's definitely a lot of energy there I guess it's a lot isn't it to put together a zine it's a lot of impact a lot of time a lot of energy a lot of coordination mm. what made you just go for it good question um I guess it was the perfect remedy of having time and energy and in the moment that I decided to do it, I think confidence, I think self-confidence is really important, is an important part of activism and feeling like you can actually act and you can actually make a step in the direction that you want to go in. And I think, yeah, in that moment, I just thought I can do that. And, and I did it. That was the moment. Yeah, what, it's amazing. What gives you that confidence? I mean, that's something that we need to bottle, right? <laughs> mm, yeah, definitely. I guess it's something we we are all kind of approaching and 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 dealing with on different levels. Um, and I think it's something that gets worn out of us in the kind of society that we live in. And I think it's our natural state. I think our natural state is to be active and autonomous and proactive and see a problem and try and fix it, you know? Um, that table's broken, I'm just gonna fix it. But because of, you know, we get tired or we have a lot of distractions or we've got other worries and not having the space in our day to just deal with things as they arise makes that, mitigates that. Um, but I do think it's our natural state. That's my hope anyway. So, yeah, how, how can we do that? How can we keep that space? How can we keep nurturing our confidence? Yeah, I guess demanding, demanding different structures. So demanding a different working week, depending on individuals' current situations, making sure we do work less than like a 40 hour week and having day whole days where we can be with our thoughts and I think that's when you're most creative as well isn't it? it's when you've had a few days with your thoughts away from external pressure that you can even start to engage with things in a different way and you can even start to engage with ideas or art or anything like that um, so I guess actively demanding space from whatever situation is restricting you and yeah we'll need to protect that in different ways yeah just, definitely just want to sort of think about um you know activism and and how we can kind of create change in our world so there are lots of different ways you've talked a little bit about the zine bringing together those voices you know providing a sort of opportunity for people to kind of come together in a different way and also think about what it means to be together. Mm. What other sort of forms of activism sort of have run through your life and would you mm. mind sharing a little bit about yeah. Yeah, your worldview? Yeah, so I guess I first came to activism, as I said, f you know, from kind of discovering a couple of scenes many, many years ago and through music and the first types of activism that attracted me or the first campaigns were campaign against the arms trade and a lot of stuff that was happening in Iraq to do with depleted uranium. Um, I was like a young teenager at the time so I just I was just kind of campaigning at my school and just reading a lot and trying to just raise awareness, signing petitions, running like small fundraising events and things like that and then as I 
grew up, Occupy became, you know, Occupy happened. And for me, that's a really incredible movement because that tackles, for me, that brought together the causes of inequality. For me, you know, the, the problems that we all face in whether it's environmental, um, you know, corruption, arms trade, any kind of problem is to do with hierarchy and othering and like this kind of separating the world into atomised parts and saying one part is more important than another part and we're going to exploit that relationship. And for me, Occupy really focused on that, on like the hierarchy and capitalism and things like debt and it's these structures that we've created that are, that are exploiting, you know, that relate these these personal relationships. Um, and then after Occupy, so I was in Edinburgh um, when Occupy kind of kicked off, and was doing a few marches and did some direct action. I think we occupied, um, I think some BP meetings and a careers fair. And then after that, I kind of got into anti-fracking and I was at Balcombe and then I went up to Lancashire for the grannies when they took over the land there, which was awesome and did, um, went to a kind of activist training camp. I can't remember the name of it now. And I've kind of been dipped in and out of the squatting scene, but I've never stayed in one place really long enough to get rooted. And then now in Bristol, finally starting to rediscover. I've had a few years where I felt really powerless and I felt like you know, I couldn't make any change and everything was fucked, basically. And, uh, yeah, lockdown's kind of reignited my passion and reignited my feelings of empowerment. But I'm very lucky to have had that response because I know a lot of people haven't and it's been a really pow- there's been a lot of feelings of powerlessness as well. And in the beginning of lockdown, that's what kind of spurred me on was the feeling of, like, the government is totally in control what can we do about it because this is horrible and that kind of total powerlessness that you have to stay in your house just woke me back up I think which was nice and also I guess I do want to just acknowledge that yeah if we're we are we're you know I was lucky enough to have the time and I wasn't just thinking about my survival and when you've got these kind of economic pressures and you can't think you you are worried all the time you don't have the space and so that having you know being able to politically it becomes a circular argument doesn't it because then you politically want people to make decisions that are going to take people out of situations where they're having to worry about money all the time so they've got the space and energy to think about other things and then that doesn't happen without people already having the space and energy to think about other things so I think it's really hard to unpick but definitely collectively talking about creating that space and having yeah and having those kind of conversations I think is still really important so we've sort of talking about the future a little bit as well and you know what are the things that we really want to sort of like bring from this time that we've experienced in lockdown and you know through this crisis the lens that it's kind of enabled us to kind of see society in a slightly different way mm. and see our relationship with the earth maybe in a different way mm. what what do you want to see sort of carried forward i want to see i really want to see decentralization of power like political power and maybe decisions being allowed to be made you know at a more local level that would be long term and I guess I would like to see I would like to see the environmental policies to continue to play a part in mainstream conversations and not get swept under the carpet
cool. Well, that was a really good uh, interview. Sounded fun, Danny. Yeah, she's uh, a really fun person with some really amazing ideas and it's always inspiring to meet somebody who's putting those things into action, yeah. you know, not just kind of like dreaming that one day they might do something again. And you know what? I think one reason why we actually started this podcast, Calling All Humans, was because we're really interested in exploring those moments that actually drive individuals or groups of people to um, take a new path or join a cause or uh, take on a new set of beliefs. And I think actually Bethany during that interview gave a really good example of that when she was talking about the impact that the Occupy movement had on her and her whole outlook in life and how that's really then inspired this whole chain of decisions and this whole path that she's followed. And it really is quite amazing because you know, to me, that's one thing that I always appreciate in movements is the power to inspire people. And it's often ends up having these long term outcomes that aren't obvious at first. So you get people saying, oh, what did Occupy ever actually achieve? And well, this is an example, you know, it inspires people to take on whole new paths. And when you think about other movements that are happening now, like Black Lives Matter, Extinction Rebellion, you know, that's the real importance. It isn't the very immediate outputs. It's those long-term outcomes, how they're actually affecting people's lives and their own personal journeys. There's a potential for something quite poetic and beautiful as well. The fact that, you know, picking up a zine was the first thing that inspired her. And now that she's produced this zine, that potentially somebody else will pick up and uh, it'll inspire them. So let's hope. Yeah, and also Bristol Anarchist Book Fair, for anyone who doesn't know, really is... Uh, brilliant event that's uh, moved around Bristol at various locations over the years but I know I've picked up some zines and books and just met some really great people at those events in the past so and again it just shows you the importance of having these community events where you can actually share new ideas and ways of connecting with people. Yeah, for sure. You know, and thinking about what you were saying around, um, you know, Occupy and the influence that it's had just it is definitely worth mentioning that during this time um, of the pandemic, David Graeber, the incredible anthropologist, social and political thinker and activist, passed away. And, um, you know, he was a great influence and inspiration um, really in Occupy and beyond. And I'm sure that, you know, that his work will be kind of revered even more now and um, and kind of people will return to it and um, it will re-inspire them. But he would be very happy to see, you know, like the the response and the resistance that has um, sort of emerged to the the pandemic. And let's, you know, he, he would share some of Bethany's thoughts there in terms of, you know, where this could go as well, you know, like what, what we want to see. And he was always calling for, you know, more decentralized democracy, more more kind of decentralized democracy, and ways for people to participate in political process. You know, so that it wasn't just a vote, and then it was left behind. So, I think that, you know, by kind of really blending these kind of opportunities with actions, um, or meeting these opportunities with actions. Uh, that galvanise people together and, and create an opportunity for them to sort of see the world in a different way is what's called for right now, more than ever before. Definitely. And I think one thing this pandemic has shown, you know, uh, Bethany in that interview was saying if there's one thing she'd really like to see is more, uh, well, see power decentralised from our central government and just look at, you know, the last six months look at some of the actions that you've seen on a local level, the mutual support networks, the food parcels, just people coming out and supporting each other and actually showing some real community spirit and then contrast that with some of the government's own actions, how they are still managing this situation as if it's a business deal, you know, handing out huge contracts to companies that they've already got contacts with to well, bulls up a delivery of a track and trace system. And it really shows you actually both sides of the coin there, the beautiful things that can happen on a local level and the total cock-ups that can happen at government level. Yeah, I, you know, it definitely is. This time is being uh, utilised or exploited by the government for sure. You know, there's the, you know, you've touched the tip of the iceberg there, but you've really, you know, shone a light on the importance of how we have to hold people in power to account 
And perhaps that's something that really needs to sort of emerge over the next sort of few months. You know, we were reflecting on where this is going. There is a growing sense of frustration, not just with the government, um, but the way in which the government has abused this situation. And it will be very interesting to see how that balances out with the need for, you know, really good public health and safety and the um, the economy, people's livelihoods. And at the same time, you know, wanting to make sure that actually our democratic systems aren't eroded. Actually, we want them enriched, enhanced. We want to be more participatory. We want to make sure that people are making decisions that, you know, account for everybody and include everybody in those decisions. Nothing um, about you without you, that famous sort of saying, you know, and it's um, it's a time, you know, uh, it's a call for artists, it's a call for activists and it's a call for, you know, people who are, are still breathing to sort of dream into this future. Arundhati Roy p- coined it perfectly didn't she when uh, she was talking about the portal the pandemic is a portal um we have this opportunity to transform and that's a hard process that's uh not pleasant necessarily at all you know think about the metamorphosis of the caterpillar into a butterfly it's it's gonna happen on a cellular level almost and um yeah that's where we need to put our creativity and energy i think As we continue on this Occupy Wall Street protest, we're joined by one of the organizers, David Graeber. David Graeber is author of Debt, um, The First 5,000 Years. He teaches at Goldsmiths uh, at the University of London, teaches anthropology here in the United States right now. Welcome. You were part of the protest, stayed there overnight. Talk about how this all got organized, David. Well, um, it was originally a call from Adbusters. It was just sort of thrown out into the blue. And explain what Adbusters. Uh, Adbusters, the the um, magazine from based in Toronto, so they're they're quite far away from Wall Street. They had this conception and they thought they could bring it into being. A bunch of us showed up, you know, relatively unprepared for what to expect on August second when they called a general meeting, and um, after a little bit of uncertainty, we sort of started putting together a process. We decided to model on the idea of the sort of horizontal direct democracy they had in Europe. And in a way, the Wall Street action was one focus, but the very idea of building that kind of general assembly movement was a lot of what we were really about. And explain what you mean by general assembly and exactly how the process started on Saturday. Well, um, what people are doing in Europe is essentially trying to reinvent democracy. The idea is that you know all of the political parties have basically bankrupted themselves. They're all essentially bought and sold by the financial elite that's created this crisis. There, there's no possibility of their actually coming up with a solution. And essentially you have to start over. People have to like go into their public squares, meet each other, start talking to each other, and start brainstorming of ideas. I mean, essentially the idea is the system is not going to save us, we're going to have to save ourselves. So we're going to try to get as many people as possible to camp in some public place and start rebuilding society as we'd like to see it. I've always got that I'm in the money uh, it's, I think it was like on a Simpsons episode once and now it's just in my head like it pops in my head like once a week or something throughout throughout my life for about 20 years it's insane <sighs> so Danny so 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 I think one thing that was interesting also that was brought up in that interview you did with Bethany was this idea of how we find space for creativity um you know she, she she was talking about finding your own space and making sure that you can actually live a life that allows you to be creative and find space to be creative with other people and she also touched on this idea of needing to feel confident to be able to be creative um and i was wondering how digital how our move to digital might enhance this kind of our ability to be creative with others and how that might feed into improving this idea of local democracy or local action what are your thoughts mm, yeah i mean 
It's a good question. I would. I'm instantly drawn to the 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 warnings and the perhaps the kind of the the downside straight away. That I think it's worth mentioning that digital has the very real potential, and it's probably happening already of consuming our entire lives, mm. and the. The mere fact that you know we are being at the moment asked to perform so much of our lives online, and those areas of our lives that we're not being asked to necessarily kind of perform, but we want to stay connected with people, we're having to use, you know, um, our computers and our devices to to do that at the moment too. It feels like every aspect is uh, is being encroached um, by technology, you know. So we use our computers for our work. We use it for entertainment. <laughs> some people use it for sex. Some people use it for, you know, shopping. And it's like it's 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 everywhere. Uh, education and and that has a that has a huge impact on us as human beings, you know, on on how we kind of encounter the world and what it imposes upon our thinking and what it kind of restricts us to in our actions. So I think that just, just put that out there as a kind of something that we need to be aware of and we need to kind of check in with ourselves that we're happy and healthy in our relationship with technology yeah. as we sort of move forward. Because it also, your question, yeah, because it also normalizes just being on your own. I was just thinking, you know, I've been chatting to you for a good half hour here, but if you actually took a step back and looked at me and, in right now i'm sat on my own just in a room just content though because you know i feel like we're connecting all that but at the end of the day i'm on my own and that's what the move to digital really does it makes you happy with being on your own makes you content and you almost forget about that you're not actually with someone yeah it is quite spooky quite interesting i mean i actually am pretty happy on my own in <laughs> really on my own without the digital kind of connection but <laughs> not that not that i don't enjoy seeing your face uh through this little screen here greg wow. as we're doing this in what a this way to cut me down there Jeez. but you know what what i was gonna sort of like say was your question was about the positives you know what is the potential potential yeah yeah, and I think it does have potential. Um, I think that the way that the government had to move Parliament to being online in the initial stages of the first lockdown was a really positive thing because we saw that, you know, it was people were able to participate in democracy in that way and didn't necessarily have to be together in these old institutions in this particular kind of like very strange and surreal way that we enact democracy in this country. But they stopped that. They realised that actually, if they kind of allowed that to continue, then it jeopardised their their own systems and their own power structures. So they kind of quickly, swiftly turned around on that one. But it did give us this kind of insight into, okay, great. Um, if that can work for politicians, it can work for us at the local level. And we could, you know, quite easily broaden that to citizens and citizens' assemblies and, you know, different working groups on different areas of our lives in our cities, in our communities, you know, and at country level as well. So I think it's got huge potential, actually. Um, I think that as long as people have access, um, you know, we don't want people to sort of be marginalised by their poor internet connection or lack of infrastructure. So, you know, the same sort of... Um, problems will be replicated in the digital sphere for sure and we have to be really aware of that it's almost as if uh, we need free broadband for all or something like that yeah i know there's only a political party <laughs> that would have proposed that the last election um but yeah i mean i just want to mention briefly during lockdown actually the first lockdown i i read this book em forster's um the machine stops and well, it's only a small danny, danny can i just sort of also just interrupt you there so Lots of people have been making comparisons to dystopian worlds and science fiction. And, you know, people have been saying stuff like The Matrix or maybe 1984 or even like The Terminator, like Rising of Machines and Digital. Danny goes for the total hipster answer. And he's been reflecting on Ian Forster's The Machine Stops. Is that not right, Danny? <laughs> is it oh my god i'm a hipster no i'm not um it is just a really interesting you know short novel it's 
it was written like you know I don't know 1904 1906 something like that so a long time ago and this you know this guy is you know not kind of known for sci-fi but it's set in a future world where everybody lives kind of on their own and communicates through screens and um you know this is before we even had screens so it it's it's really kind of um yeah what's the word it's predicted really the future or maybe it's helped bring it into being but during lockdown in particular it felt really pertinent to reflect on what could happen if we succumbed to you know the sort of the digital narrative being the kind of the only way that we can do things and as we emerge from our lockdown as we kind of like move through the pandemic we need to kind of get a good balance and really kind of use it for the aspects that we want to enhance but at the same time protect the areas that you know are about physical connection are about being offline unplugged and um you know really experiencing the world in in its fullest with all of our senses well i think that's a nice place to leave it for this episode so we just wanted to give another thank you to Bethany Morton for agreeing to be interviewed and being featuring in this episode and also a shout out to Limpet for providing the music as always. Always love his tunes. It's great. And a thank you to you, Danny, uh, in your digital presence as we sit here together. How's, how's it been for you, the recording? Your ones and zeros were, uh, you know, phenomenal. On thank point you. ones <laughs> and zeros. How about that? Okay, well, that's it for us. So, see you guys next episode. See ya. Bye.